Today's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12.18 brings us to the foot of what many theologians see as the summit, the high point of the book. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm. It's a pretty exciting way to start a sermon. The first mountain described here sounds like an adventure mountain, fire, gloom and storm. And if that's not the mountain we've come to, then what's the other mountain like? Now before we dash off to explore these fascinating mountains, we need to do two things. Firstly, we need to find our footing. As we've been saying for the last two weeks, Hebrews is written to a group of people who are being drawn towards apostasy. These were Jews who had begun to follow Jesus, but were being tempted to downplay or, or forget the significance of Jesus in their lives. The second thing we need to do before we climb the mountains in our text is to explore the mountains of our own culture today. Throughout history, mountaintops, hilltops and high places are places where people have had religious experiences, whether because of the lack of oxygen or the perspective climbing to the highest point brings. Mountains take our breath away and remind us that there is something bigger than us. Mountains here are proxies for places where we meet with God. So today we're going to look at four mountains. Mount Pleasant, Mount Karma, Mount Sinai, and Mount Zion. The first mountain I want to take you to is Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant represents the God many people think about today when they hear the word God. This is the God of therapeutic, moralistic deism. The God of Mount Pleasant is therapeutic because they're the God you go to if you want something. Like the Easter Bunny, this God's purpose is to give you nice things and it's kind of like a needy, un unqualified therapist who needs you to believe in them. This God is moralistic because at the end of the day, this God just wants you to be nice. This God is a guide showing you how to be nice, making good business deals, and if you're really lucky, you might get a dollar for a tooth, 
a ray of sunshine for a kindness to a stranger, or a new car if you do your bit. Finally, the God of Mount Pleasant is deistic, not close to us, but distant, impersonal. They don't want much to do with you. This God might send you a blessing if you go to a temple or a Christmas service. But if you don't bother the God of Mount Pleasant, then they won't bother you. If you live a good life, then maybe this God is maybe if this God is real, they'll take you to heaven with all the other nice people. Many today believe in a God like this, the bearded sky fairy of an atheist joke. But a quick look at Hebrews tells us that the God we're dealing with today is not the God of Mount Pleasant. The God of the Bible, look with me at verse 29, is a consuming fire. The second God people often think of when we talk about God today is the God of Mount Karma. This God is more serious than that of Mount Pleasant. This impersonal force blesses us for nice things and punishes us for bad things. This God really doesn't give us any rules, so we have to make them up for ourselves. So we don't litter, we're kind to people who are like us, and we avoid people who are not like us. And perhaps if there is anything after death, then we might come back as a squirrel or as a merchant banker. If you're good, then the God of Mount Karma gives you what you want. And if you're bad, then you might stub your toe or spill your coffee. This God is kind of like a school principal. Stay out of their way and make sure you look good and you'll live a charmed life. As long as you chant, pray, meditate, pay your taxes, work hard, mind your P's and Q's and don't fight in public, then God, if God exists, is your friend. This is the God of man-made religion. If you climb up Mount Karma, then this God owes you something. And if you fail, this God will punish you. While the gods of Mount Pleasant and Karma are, Mount, are dodgy caricatures, I hope you can see the way you or people around you view or viewed God in them. If God exists, then my relationship with them doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm a good person, or at least not a bad person. These gods are not orientated around your relationship with them or faith. They're orientated around your actions, and these gods can be manipulated by you. This again is not the mountain or the God Hebrews speaks of in verse 22, where it says, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Chapters 1 to 10 of Hebrews are a critique of these views of God. And if you have the time, I really encourage you to read the whole book of Hebrews. The Hebrews, much like people today, were under pressure to conform to the ideas of the world around them, worship fake gods, and abandon their faith in Jesus. Notice what both these gods have in common. Ultimately, they're controlled by our actions. They're tame gods who we can put in a box if we like. Jesus, however, is not like this. So to help us understand Jesus more fully, Hebrews reminds us of a journey their ancestors take to Mount Sinai. Look at verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This scene is from Exodus 19, where the ancestors of the Hebrews, slaves freed from Egypt, come to Mount Sinai. 
Here God meets with his people and it's awesome. There is smoke and fire and God speaks audibly with his people. Unlike the gods of Mount Pleasant and Karma, this is a real God. A God who has just triumphed over the fake gods of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth, and who now is going to speak to his people and tell them how they are to live. God has seen the injustice and the abuse of the Egyptians, and this God cares deeply about justice, righteousness, and true worship. But as awesome as this site is, it's also terrifying. Hebrews reminds us that a perimeter needed to be set around Mount Sinai to make sure that even animals didn't touch the foot of it, because this God is holy. So holy, in fact, that the people felt the gravity of their sin. They can't approach this God because he is perfect and they are not. He is good, and in the light of his goodness, the people of Israel recognize that even though they're not as bad as their slave masters in Egypt, they're not good enough to come into God's awesome presence. Even Moses, who met with God, worked miracles by the power of God, and knew God by name, was quaking in his boots. Hebrews tells us that this is the proper response when not just bad people, but all people come before the one true God. You see, the Bible is more honest about us than we are often about ourselves. We're experts at justifying ourselves and making excuses for our sin. But the Bible is more honest about me than I am about myself. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that I'd be sacked for if I preached it today. It was called, Sin is in the Hands of an Angry God. Preaching from the book of Amos, he taught the biblical truth that God hates injustice, rebellion, and sin. God is not impressed by our goodness, and while we might spend our lives running away from God or pretending that he doesn't exist, judgment will come to all of us, and all of us will be found wanting. It's a heavy message that only offers a glimmer of hope in the final lines. Edwards preached, Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of God Almighty is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. What is this mountain, you ask? Well, it's Mount Zion. Look at verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God. Mount Zion first appears in the Bible in 2 Samuel 5, 7. On the top of this mountain, there is a city that the Hebrew king David conquers and makes his capital. He calls the city Jerusalem, city of peace. And on one of the pinnacles of Mount Zion, David's son Solomon builds the temple, the place where God would once again meet with his people. When the temple is finished, the Spirit of God fills the temple's tallest structure, the Holy of Holies, where God meets with his people. As the story of the Bible develops, however, you see the idea of Zion being separated from being located in the temple. The priests and religious rulers begin to take advantage of worshippers in the temple, And the prophets begin to speak of Zion not as an earthly city, but as heaven itself, a place where God's rule and reign is untarnished by human sin. Here Hebrews tells us that we have come to the presence of the living God. 
How have we done this? Through the blood of Jesus. In the Jerusalem temple, the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies after washing himself of sin and then covering himself with the blood of an animal sacrifice. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest who offered the one true sacrifice for sin and thanks him and says thanks to him we can approach to approach Zion, God's throne of grace. Verse 24 tells us that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was the second son born to Adam and Eve. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Abel offers up a blood sacrifice to God, while his brother Cain offers up a fruit platter. God accepts Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's because Cain's heart was not right before God. He was not filled with faith. Cain blames his brother and murders Abel. God comes to Cain and asks him where his brother is. And Cain replies, am I my brother's keeper? God replies, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me. Whilst the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance and retribution, here it's being compared to the blood of Jesus. Jesus died so that sinners like you and me might come before God, coated in the blood of Jesus. His DNA and his goodness covers us so that we need not fear God's vengeance or judgment. Instead, the blood of Jesus is about mercy, forgiveness and grace. This is why the invitation to climb Mount Zion, to come to God, is so vital today. Those who come to God at Sinai only know part of the story. They realize that God is a God of justice who will judge sin and not tolerate abuse. They hope that God will send someone someday who will mediate for them. The people who first gathered at Sinai thought it might be Moses, but Moses couldn't make his people right with God, no matter how hard he tried. That's why Hebrews is saying that people who know Jesus, people like us, should come to him in prayer and worship. We shouldn't want to go back to the foot of Mount Sinai. Yes, God was at Sinai, but at Sinai, our sin still keeps us from him. Jesus leads us onto Mount Zion. This is why verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Friends, God is inviting us all today to hear his word and to come to him right now. He's inviting us to say sorry for our sins and to turn away from them. The Bible shows us that the trials and the things that shake our lives are here to refine us. Like a miner fossicking for gold, shaking water and sand away, God shakes away anything that is worthless leaving only the purest gold. Sure, the trials of life may seem like earthquakes, but the book of Hebrews is reminding those who attempted to run at first sign of trouble that God shakes away anything that is dying and leaves only that which lasts forever. Are you ready for a shake-up? Today in the 10 a.m. service, Hemi is choosing to accept God's invitation to take up his cross and follow Jesus. Today we'll baptize Hemi and anoint him for service in God's church. Let me encourage you to do the same. 
We live in a world where there are so many distractions and things competing for our time and energy. But Jesus deserves our best, our everything, our all in all. Verses 28 to 29 say, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The proper response to the one true God is a life of thankfulness and awe. Today, you and I are being invited to orientate our lives around the one true God and become representatives of God's kingdom in the here and now and to enjoy him forevermore. So what are you going to do? Are you going to keep swanning around Mount Pleasant? Do you really want a fake God who needs you in order to exist? Or will you keep climbing Mount Karma, trying to be the best and finding yourself tumbling down again and again? Will you keep telling yourself that the God question doesn't matter and telling yourself that it'll all be okay because deep down you're a good person? Or will you approach the God of the awesome power of Mount Sinai, knowing that he now reigns from Mount Zion and that his wrath and judgment are consumed by the fire of his love for all who follow Jesus? Are you ready for God to shake up your life and throw off everything holding you back from knowing him, that he will give you more than you could ever lose? Mount Zion is waiting for us to climb. While all other mountains will crumble and fall away, God's mountain is unshakable and is an unshakable mountain. Build your life there and you'll never regret it. Amen.